Welcome to Wanda Six, the Black Arts and Culture Program with the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Shapeshifter, uh, San Francisco Bay Area artist, Africa Dabrica, Africa. Black woman is God. And um, we are continuing our wonderful conversation with uh, slave revolt reenactors, sort of lifting up the energy and the, and the legacy of the largest um, Rebellion in the United States, January 1811. And um, we have in the studio, uh, returning, we have uh, <laughs> uh, Dr. Camilla Moses Okpodu, who is um, the, uh, she is the, I'm looking here, uh, she, she is the Professor of Biology and Dean of Arts and Sciences at Xavier University of Louisiana. Uh, New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, and uh, she was professor 2003 to 2018, uh, and she's a former chair of biology 2003 to 2008 at Norfolk State College, State University, and in the 2007-2008 American Council of Education Fellow. She was a second director of the DIA Designated Intelligence Community Center for Academic Excellence at Norfolk State University. And you can read more about her uh, in her wiki site, uh, Camellia Okpodu. So welcome again. Thank you so much for joining us for the second conversation. It's going to be awesome. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're quite welcome. And we have uh, joining us uh, Sister Aretha Campbell, who uh, has a BA and an MA in criminal justice from John Jay College of Criminal Justice. She's calling us from New York. Uh, Criminal Justice Cooney, uh, Masters of Divinity from Princeton's Theological Seminary, and she currently works in social service 
she's a dual citizen of the United States and Jamaica, and she's a recent blogger and YouTuber. Is your is your um your blog and YouTube called Thriving While Black? Yes. It is? Okay. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, do you want to add anything to, to what I shared about you, Sister Aretha? Uh, I am an avid lover of black people. Mm. I love okay. Quite, um, you're, you can't quite understand what you just said. What did you say? Oh, I'm, I'm an avid lover of black people. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lover of black people. Awesome. Yeah, I think everyone yeah. here on the air is too. Yeah, say. <laughs> Super. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And and then we have uh, another person um, uh, joining us that I'm not certain um, who you are. So introduce yourself to us, please. Uh, thank you. Maybe you can recognize my voice. I'm uh, Ralph, Ralph Abdul-Aleem. Kenner, oh. Louisiana, your host. Yes, I stayed with you, Sister Quadria. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know you were going to be joining us. Oh, that is so cool. Oh, super. Yeah. Yeah. Family, friend. <laughs> cool. Super, long super. Time. Right. Mm-hmm. Very, very long time. You know my, my uncles and my great uncles and my aunties and everybody. Oh, that's so wonderful. Oh, I'm so happy you could join us. Oh, we're going to have this great conversation about the uh, Slave Rebellion reenactment, um, you know, the army, you know, that were lifting up, you know, the names of these Africans that decided that, you know, hey, we we on to New Orleans, you know, um, you know, victory or death, you know, we are not going to be enslaved anymore. So there's just really really wonderful, um, you know, that, you know, Dred Scott sort of brought us all together, you know, to be able to um, reenact, you know, and retrace the uh, the route, the 26-mile, you know, 28-mile route of the historic German coast uprising of 1811. And uh, so we marched, you know, along the river, um, you know, into New Orleans at Congo Square, uh, November 8th and 9th. So, um, I don't know who want, might want to start first, but maybe uh, maybe you could share with our audience um, sort of how you found out about the slave revolt reenactment and and, and what what drew you to to participating. Um, Sarita, you want to start? Sure, I'll I'll go. So this year I've been really just trying to look for things to help me thrive, as I'm saying. Um, so I, before that, I went to Jamestown to where the first African-American was enslaved um, mm-hmm. to kind of just feel that spirit of what it must have been like for, for the people brought over on those ships. And then I was like, I told a friend about this journey I'm on, like to just try to retrace the steps of um, enslaved people and so somehow gather their spirit up in myself. And she told me about this. And it was like two weeks before it was time. And I just immediately mm. um, reached out. And I actually thought they were going to ask me to pay. So I was thinking of a sum in my mind that I was willing to pay. And then they said, um, 
no, we're going to pay you to come. And I'm like, awesome. You're going to pay me to come to do something that I think will be spiritually healing to me. So yeah, when I that's how I heard I heard about it and it was for me it was about connecting with my ancestors and connecting with people who are on the same journey of healing that I'm trying to be on. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's what drew me to it. Yeah, yeah. And and brother Abdullaline, um what yes. uh what attracted you to this and how did you find out? I mean, I know you're like in the town, so you know, you're already there pres- you know, physically, but how did you find out about the slave rebellion reenactment and, and what, what caused you to want to participate? Well, um, I do uh, background work, you know, movie sets occasionally, mm-hmm. and I think I got a, uh, an alert from uh, one of the casting companies. And, you know, and then I disregarded because I knew they weren't going to call me. So, but then a follow-up, was from uh, the uh, SRR. So mm-hmm. I read the uh, I read about it, and immediately I wanted to be part of it because I had uh, I had gone on a tour about 20 years ago with uh, with Leon uh, Waters, and mm-hmm. that's when I first heard about it. I came down from California to to the uh, Essence Festival in Dutch, and I met Leon Waters there, and he took us on a tour. And that tour really, uh, you know, it, it really elevated my uh, interest in, in you know, in history and, 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 and that event. And, uh, you know, subsequently I, had, I was in a family reunion, uh, and, I, uh, and they were all coming to New Orleans, for one of the days that the uh, reunion was going on. So I took them on the same tour that Leon Waters uh, took me on. And I've been pushing it and, uh, you know, talking about it ever since for the last 20 years. And so when he came over that, I, when I heard about mm-hmm. it, I jumped on it immediately. But uh, let, me, let me just, I'm going to start over because what I wanted to say is last year, this time, I was finishing up cancer treatment for my prostate. Oh, Right really? before uh, Thanksgiving, yes, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I went through prostate cancer, and it sort of, it was sort of depressing in a way, and it sort of made me weak. <clears throat> and uh, I was lying around, you know, for the last, you know, from that period up to this period, you know, I, was, mm-hmm. I wasn't inactive, but I, uh, the radiation had, had different effect on, on different people, so I, it, I was a little weak. But when I heard about this, uh, that, you know, that all went away. So uh, today, um, today uh, I felt better than I felt in quite a while, quite a long time. Because cause what, what happened is I told you that I wasn't going to be available um, yesterday. Uh, right. I was on a movie set. And... You know, they worked us to death. We were standing on our feet for like 12 hours. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, wow, this is almost better, you know, uh, more energy than the, uh, than the uh, march. But anyway, uh, uh, you know, a year later, here I am marching. Uh, I think I marched a total of 18, 19 miles because I, mm-hmm. I clocked it on my uh, Fitbit. And, uh, um, but, 
I say that to say this: never give up. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm 76 years old, and you know, don't sit around and feel sorry for yourself. Uh, if you can get the motivation just to take one step forward, um, you know, that's that's my uh, uh, little story. And and uh, that's that's and when I heard when I heard about it, I just said I had to be part of it. And uh, I told my daughters, uh, Naima and Kimia, uh, and my wife, I said I'm I'm gonna try this. They said, Are you uh, <laughs> are you out of your mind? <laughs> because you know I I, uh, I I used to be a walker. I I started off when I started my career. I started a utility company out in, in uh, California as a meter reader. So. I was used to walking, you know, I'd walk 10, 15 miles a day in the hills of uh, Northern California, San Francisco, Oakland, and, uh, but that was 50 years ago almost, and and uh, I went back when I turned 52, and I did the same thing, I read meters, because I went back as a contract worker, I had worked in the carpet office in between, and uh, I said, now, if I could Mentally, you know, I was I was ready to do it. Physically, I didn't know because I was listening to your guest yesterday, and she said she had a knee problem, and so did I. I think <laughs> I told you about that. Uh, mm-hmm. And my knee problem went away, same as hers. So spiritually, that was a uh, you know a very uplifting uh, event that I uh, participated in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. Is, I'm the person who had the knee problem, and it's good to hear that uh, <laughs> you felt very similar. And God yeah, is very, yeah, yeah. God is very good, because mm-hmm. I'm listening to both of you talk, and I realized that we had such connection. As I said, I'm new to New Orleans, and yesterday I talked about coming here to participate and finding out about the um, the reenactment because Red Scott was on campus. But and I also told you I was a member of the Historic um, Contraband Slave Society uh, um, in Hampton. But what I didn't tell you, that when I was on the faculty at Norfolk State, I helped to participate in writing a grant or uh, and lending my support through my intelligence community center for the 1619 project, which the first uh, speaker talked about, that she with Greensburg. I was very intimately involved with that at Norfolk. We did a number of... Um, opportunities where we had people come on and do programming around 1619, the making of America. And so I gave papers, the very first paper I gave was about haplotyping, um, bio diseases, and pandemics in the 1619. And I talked about um, diabetes mellitus um, is an epigenetic phenomenon that correlates with our treatment and 1619 food waste. So I talked about how what kind of foods we eat, what were open to us, and how that has laid down the genetic footprint that has uh, caused us to have a disparity um, that continues to be a part of our um, collective being for the most part as minorities, as Africans in America. Um, we have, at Xavier, where I'm the dean, we have the... Um, we have in our in my college we have public health. It's one of the areas that we're looking at, and some of the questions that we're asking is try, is just around this whole 
thing. Like there are other things that happen to our bodies and our beings during this uh, most stressful uh, time that we continue to live on a duress. You know, you, you've hear, heard of driving while black and eating while black and getting an education while black and a number of things that you just have to worry about that uh, other people don't get the ha, don't have that same sort of uh, feeling. Uh, some people call them uh, microaggressions. I call them aggression. Um, micro nothing. There's nothing micro about it. <laughs> okay. So this 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 stress that is can treat that is a consequence and holdover of the way we've been treated gets played out for a long number of us when we continue to see inequities and social injustices that continue to ravage who and what we become and how desperately we we don't have access necessarily to uh, the best food and or um, equity as it comes to employment and the things that we have to worry that are, are a consequence and a legacy of the slave, slavery in America. And that's, to me, what, the one reason why the reenactment was so important. It reminded me that there were some of us who still have the uh, – who feel compelled to stand up and say these these injustices are not correct. We're not going to take it. We're going to march on to New Orleans. We're going to we're going to live free or die. And so mm-hmm. that's also part of our, what we need to continue the conversation. Um, what it means to be free, and what it means to um, participate and be active in making sure that our narrative is told. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, we've been joined by um, uh, Malik Hassan, who I think is probably the long, younger, um, youngest of of um, the uh, younger group of the reenactors. So, welcome, Malik. I know that um, you know you're you're going through some things presently, so I'm really happy that you could join us to talk about, you know, um, you know, participating in this wonderful opportunity to to literally embody and call up the ancestors. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I am um, still having trouble finding all the words to describe all of the emotions that I felt in the moment and I'm continuing to feel and just um, all of the things that I, you know, kind of experienced along the way. I will say that, you know, um, as you said, I'm dealing with some, you know, other personal struggles right now. However, I do feel that since participating in the reenactment, there's been this very intense feeling of power, Mm. this very intense feeling of, like, power that I've always been entitled to, that I've been able to um, embody more in my daily interactions and in my sense of self and in the way that I deal with the things that I do. Um, I remember at one point point, uh, during the reenactment, we had been walking all day, and it was getting close towards the end. And um, it was around the time when we had walked through the spillway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure everyone remembers that that was kind of the moment <laughs> where everyone, you know, was kind of getting to the point where it's like, all right, it's cold, it's raining, guys. It's, you know, you know, we're walking. You know, there was no security at that moment. And I think that was the moment for me where it really felt real and where I really felt most connected to the actual experience. You know, not to say that anything that we had came close to you know, anything that we did came close to the actual real experience. But at that moment, you know, it felt like, wow, like this is important. We're doing something and this is not easy. And that I think was my favorite part about it. I remember shortly after that um, we had stopped and they were um, coming with 
with the blankets. You know, they had the mobile bathrooms and everything. They had the warming packs and little snacks and, and whatnot for people to eat and, um, you know, replenish their energy. And I remember standing and waiting for the bathroom, being a little irritated because, like, you know, I was getting a little wet and, you know, it was a little cold, um, all of these things. And I overheard a late. I overheard a lady, and this was the only thing that I had overheard from any from all of the conversations that were around me. I overheard a lady say, wow, I feel very privileged to be complaining about the things that I'm complaining about right now, you know, like especially in the realm of doing what we're doing and representing what it is that we're representing, and I'm complaining about waiting too long to use a restroom that's been provided for me. And at that moment, that really put the whole thing into perspective for me as well. That was a very – that was a very um, compelling moment throughout the whole experience. And I think that's what it was for me. It was the nuances of it all. Just the fact that we all felt like we had been there before, the fact that it was so easy of us to fall into doing these things that we had not necessarily physically done before, but that, but, but, you know, the spirit of those that came before us and how it just comes natural. It was incredible. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm getting very wordy, but, <laughs> like I said, I'm still having trouble finding out exactly how how to articulate what the experience was for me in a very concise manner. Hmm. No, this was wonderful. So I was wondering, can you tell tell um, you know our audience um, and those that are you know part of this conversation right now a little bit more about yourself because we met on the bus um, uh, the second day um, on on that Saturday morning. Um, you know, we we met, and I was just thinking about the whole street Claiborne. You know, that that street needs to be renamed. That guy was horrible. Um, I mean, he oh, he is he is the reason why no one knows about this this important history. They rewrote he rewrote it intentionally to uh, as as you know these Africans um, who who wanted you know you know freedom or liberty or death. He he recast it cast them as criminals as opposed to you know the enslavers. And these people with these plantations and these these farms, you know, harvesting the sugar as the real criminals. And so I'm thinking, I'm, I'm not in New Orleans, but I'm thinking, rename that street. It's a big boulevard. Rename it. I was thinking, you know, renaming it Charles uh, Charles Desalon, you know, Boulevard or something. That'd be really hot. Right. Um, I mean, but <laughs> you know, New Orleans is just historically, you know, very closely tied to just like. Um, all things colonial, all things, like, oppressive. I mean, and there are many, you know, we have a street named Jeff Davis still. You know, we have a street named Robert E. Lee still. You know, they tore down um, some of the statues, you know, to appease some people that were getting angry about it, you know. And mostly the voices that were being heard that actually, you know, made action were, of course, not necessarily the black voices, the people who, you know, had lived in these areas and built these areas under the foot of, like, you know, white capitalism and imperialism. But, you know, of course, you know, New Orleans in recent years has seen, you know, this uh, very intense wave of its own kind of gentrification. You know, we have a lot of transplants coming and like, you know, uh, neoliberals coming with their, you know, with their ideals of how to mitigate their own guilt for, you know, the place that they hold in society and whatnot. So once they started speaking up about it, small things started happening, but not enough because the city is still run on just these really old and tired imperialist values and, a lot of it just does not – I'm sorry. I'm getting past the point. <laughs> it's just growing up it's really hard to – it's really hard to not get into these conversations when I've seen it and I continue to see it. And I go into places and I see the way that things, you know, are not or maybe just the way that things are expressed differently. 
But, you know, and um, New Orleans definitely has a reputation for being, you know, more um, – for being more tolerant than other places in Louisiana or the South in general. However, people tend to forget that this was one of the birthplaces of, like, Americanized slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I think that yeah, um, um, people often forget that it still exists today. You know, like, our mm-hmm. school system is – in education, we're ranked 51 in the country, but we have a state-of-the-art prison in the middle of the city. I live down the street from it. Hmm. And it just says a lot about, you know, the climate of what's going on in terms of who has the power and who is, you know, and who has basically who ha- who has things being dangled in front of them. Because, you know, New Orleans, once again, is a tourist industry city. So most of it is hospitality. Most lower income black people have to work within the tourism and the hospitality industry, which a lot of the times I use the term shoe shining, you know, when describing uh, what it feels like to be in that environment where you're forced to give up so much of yourself and when you're forced to have to, you know, put on a show for these people that don't respect your humanity at all. And um, yeah, once again, I'm getting way besides the point. I'm so sorry. Hello, everyone. My name is Willie Kassan. <laughs> no, I don't, think you're off, I don't think you're off topic at all, um, young man. I think you're, you're bringing up some very important points that we just take for granted because before we didn't have a choice in the matter, before we didn't feel as if we did have choice, but we didn't feel as if we had choice. But um, I know the conversation about even uh, those statues that were taken down and the way they were moved um, – um, you know, people continue as they have been. But the idea, you know, I'm not from here. I moved here. I'm a transplant. Um, I have mm-hmm. family here who lived in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana for a while. But one of the things I, I'm from Virginia, so this gives you perspective on. So we have yet to remove our Confederate monuments that are in the middle of the city. Um, and um, so Virginia is now having that conversation. And I like to think it's because Louisiana opened the door. And show how it could be mm-hmm. done. And for all the mm-hmm. things that we still have uh, to do, we aren't what we used to be. Um, we're Absolutely. continuing to move to force forward. And uh, as the Bible says, in my opinion, I don't despise small beginnings, but I use that as a way to empower that and, and, and let myself know that it can be done. We have been conditioned to think that we, ha- we can't do those things. But now we know if me, with my bad knee, can walk 16 miles, I mean, you know, it really has empowered mm-hmm. me to do other things and to ask other questions. So I think what you said is apropos for the moment is what the spirit, is the ancestors led you to say, is what we as older uh, uh, members of our of our group must listen to your young voice because you are our future, and I and I and I commend you for for having the courage to say it, and you, no apology needed from my perspective. Well, thank you, ma'am. Yeah. I really do appreciate that. One of my um, favorite writers, actually, Alice Walker, um, there's a quote from her that I live and stand by. Um, one of the easiest ways that uh, I'm probably messing up the word, I know, I mean, the, the wording, I know that I am. One of the easiest ways that people give up their power is by thinking that they have none. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, being, because I'm 22, I grew up in Louisiana basically my entire life. And um, I definitely, most environments uh, that I grew up in, gone, excuse gone me, um, Malik, yes, Malik, hold on for a second. Um, I'm hearing hearing a lot of static. Um, 
Yeah. So oh, um, give me a moment. Sorry. It's, it's, it's gone. It's gone now. <laughs> so anyway, okay. hello. Uh, go ahead. You were saying you, you you were saying you grew up in uh in uh New Orleans or Louisiana. Yes, ma'am. Yes. So I grew up um in Louisiana. I was born in New Orleans. However, uh, I was born in New Orleans in the Desire Ninth Ward neighborhood, directly in front of Desire Project on the corner of High Chain Humanity, and um the house that I grew up in. My family had grown up in for three generations. My grandmother's parents had bought the home, raised my grandmother there. My grandmother raised her children there. Um, you know, and my cousins and I, you know, were, grow- uh, were growing up in that house up until Hurricane Katrina in 2005. Where we re- where we re- oh, sorry, excuse me, where we relocated to Shreveport, Louisiana, which is mm-hmm. a totally different landscape. And where I learned at a very young age, exactly, you know, or I learned at a very young age you know, what the real racial climate was like in the environment that I had grown up in. Because in New Orleans, I hadn't really seen it, per se, because of the fact that I had only gone to school around, like, you know, um, a very, like, I guess, quote-unquote, diverse environment. Um, Because even though we lived in a nice ward, I went to school uptown in the Audubon area around Tulane and Loyola, you know, and... um. Once I got to Shreveport, I remember I was in fourth grade, and there was a child that I offered a French fry. He was a white child, and he told me that he didn't that he didn't want the French fry that I was offering him because black hands had touched it. Mm. And that was and this was me at nine years old. So you know, at this point, um, I've been hmm. It opened my mind to a lot of bitterness that I didn't know existed at a very young age that I have been working through and trying to um, figure out how to exist within throughout my entire life, pretty much from that point. Yeah, yeah. I wanted. Um, I think I heard. Uh, I wanted to um, to let. Um, sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted to let Brother Aleem. I think you had a comment. Um, I heard your voice, <laughs> and and so I wanted to. Um, let you interject something that you you were gonna say um, somewhere along the line when Malik was was talking um, before we get too far from what it was that you wanted to comment on. Yeah, um, I don't want to get too far off the subject, uh, but you brought up the uh, the name Claiborne Street. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I I sort of grew up in that area in the Seven Ward where we caught the bus. You know, grew up. Yeah. In the summertime, mm-hmm. I grew up in a country about 10 miles south of Baton Rouge on the Mississippi River. But I would come to the uh, come to New Orleans every summer to visit my mother. And that's what we did down there. You know, we well, the kids from from New Orleans would come to the country, and we would come from the country to New Orleans. But anyway, we lived not my mother lived not too far from uh, North Claiborne, which is uh, Seven Ward, and. Uh, and this was during the 50s, early 60s that I would uh, come out. And um, Claiborne was a thriving, thriving street. You know, all mm-hmm. back then, I didn't, see any, I didn't see any white folks on Claiborne Street in the 50s, late 50s, and 60s. And I'm 76 years old. So I, uh, you know, so, and, it, and it, the whole thing is, to me, it's orchestrated, you know, um, from, from from San Francisco, Oakland, you know, 7th Street in Oakland, uh, mm-hmm. Fillmore Street in uh, San Francisco where I've lived, um, 
and 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 it's a, it's an orchestrated event. You know, the gentrification thing is all orchestrated. So, and it's all a plantation system. You know, we say, well, you know, Absolutely. it's bad in the south. It's bad everywhere. The slave master might give the, 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 the enslaved in the south twenty uh, 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 strikes. In San Francisco, they might give give. 15. So what's the difference? So uh, I think that's what the uh, the march is all about. That you know we're, we're in the same condition in every city in the United States. You know, you mm-hmm. say, well, uh, uh, New Orleans is one of the worst cities. You know, crime wise to live in, but that's what they say in every city I, I've, I've uh, visited. Oakland is the worst. Uh, Richmond is the worst. Now. You know, I, I was um, in Richmond. I lived there for quite a while, Richmond, California. And um, I don't know if you know this, uh, Wanda, but I got shot in, in uh, Richmond. No, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, 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 I got shot point blank. And uh, wow. uh, I survived it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, I was lucky. Uh, a lot was with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, um so I survived that event, but Richmond, New Orleans—it's no difference. There's no difference, you know. Just some places may be a little more upscale than the other one, but uh, I don't care where you live in America, you know. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if you're African, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's no different. Uh, right. But, yeah. You know. Uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, have to interrupt. Uh, first of all, I wanna, I'm gonna have to leave the call, but I just wanted to. Say, um, I'm so glad that, like that little girl told Martin Luther King, I'm so glad that you're here, that the bullet didn't do what whoever uh, shot the bullet at you, the gun at you, didn't do what they intended, and God left you here to do more work. So Absolutely. I'm really happy that you're here, and I'm happy that I get the opportunity to now live in New Orleans and get to meet you. Um, Sister Wanda, I, I hate to go, but as the dean, my, my duty calls, I have to sit in academic <laughs> council right now. So, okay. but um, keep the conversation going. I look forward to meeting up again with everyone. And um, as my my favorite expression, and it had nothing to do with Jesse Jackson. I've always said it. Let us keep hope alive because we are the hope of the slaves. So, I, I, I look forward to talking to you again. And I, I will listen on the other side to hear the conversation as you continue. God bless everyone. Okay. God bless Thank you too. God Good talking to you, Amelia. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Brother Aline, when you were talking about, um, you know, there, there being, you know, similarities, you know, uh, you know, from coast to coast, I was just thinking when Oscar Grant was shot in, uh, in Oakland at the Fruitvale station, I was in New Orleans, and uh, and there were there were there were uh, police shootings that day, uh, and and young African American men died that day. Um, uh, January first, two thousand nine, which was ten years ago now, uh, and and so juxtaposing, you know, this young man who was a father as well, just like Oscar Grant, um, was killed by this police, and just like Oscar Grant was killed, you know, at that Bart station, um, hadn't uh-huh. done anything, and and I don't think the policeman lost, you know, I, he, I know he ended up, he didn't go to prison like uh, Meserlees did, um, you know, for a little bit. Uh, I think he uh-huh. just got off, you know. Um, right. Uh-huh. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's what happened. And, you know, during our 
enslavement and afterwards, uh, you know, the police or the clan, police clan, they always had us. You know, mm-hmm. uh, from from the south to the uh, to the uh, up south, up in New York and different places. You know, they get out, and uh, mm-hmm. nothing. Uh, you know, just a slap on the uh, arm and 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 that's it. But uh, yeah, I, I remember when uh, Grant was uh, was killed uh, because you know we we've all been on in, uh, at that particular BART station. I've, I've stopped there many times, gotten off to go uh, places, and uh, uh, it sort of resonated with me because I knew the uh, area. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you brought it up, but if Uncle and Aunt was part of the uh, march. Right, um, yeah, Uncle Bobby yeah. and, uh, yeah, Beatrice, Sister Beatrice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Uncle Bobby, he carried a flag. So that's mm-hmm. what, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So some did you participate um, in any of the skirmishes? Um, you know, uh, Sister Risa or Brother Liam, I know you did. And Malik, were you a part of any of the the skirmishes that happened? Because um, you know, uh, in, as a part of the reenactment. Uh, no, ma'am. Uh, no, I, well, I was involved because I came in from um, uh, Brooklyn, so I came in just uh-huh. the day when you have the last day before you can go to rehearsal, yeah. um, you had to do more rehearsals to participate in the skirmishes, or so I was told. So, no, I was not mm-hmm. in any of them. Yeah. Um, but the lean you did, right? Yeah, I was, I was part of the uh, first uh, skirmish at the uh, plantation where we uh, overwhelmed the plantation corner and uh, thought we had killed it. But uh, you know, later on we found out that he uh, he he was, he was able to escape it and warn the uh, militia. And also the uh, second uh, uh, skirmish on the levee, uh, mm-hmm. I witnessed that. We all witnessed that. I think as a on your on your uh, website, on, uh, I saw myself on there. And uh, when mm-hmm. we uh, 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 Killed the other uh, playmaster on the levee. Right. And I was part of those, those two uh, events. Um, mm-hmm. And the last event at the uh, at the spillway, I was, you know, I had I had fallen. Off. I couldn't be, I couldn't make. It. I think I rode on the back of a, uh, a, a golf cart for the last couple of miles before the uh, spillway. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I uh, put in about nine miles, and that was about all I could uh, all I could do. And it's a miracle that I did that for the first day. You know, and then uh, I turned around, and you know, we came home that night, and uh, mm-hmm. said, "Said what? I don't know if I can make it the next morning." And, right. Uh, I think another miracle had intervened when I got up. You know. I uh, jumped in the shower and uh, threw my clothes on and and uh, able to make it through that. The last day, I was able to make it through the whole march, except for a couple mm-hmm. miles. So, yeah, I was really uh, happy because I was like, I was happy that you could make it because I just thought it was really cool, you know, that one, I could stay with you all, and the two, you know, I could march with you. And, you know, we didn't march yeah. together. It was still nice, you know, to like, 
at least, you know, ride over together because I kept on missing you in all of the lineups. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I, uh, it was a little – and the first day that morning, it was a little uh, unorganized as far as getting on which bus. You know, we were supposed to be on the first bus, so I missed that bus. I got on the second one. I think you got on the last bus. I got on uh, yeah, the 1030 bus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the 1030 bus. So, uh, yeah, but overall, uh, you know, it was a very uh, uh, spiritual event. Mm-hmm. As well as physical, um, mm-hmm. you know when you when you did the uh, when you did the libation, you know I'd gotten I'd walked down just in time to be part of the libation, and mm-hmm. uh, you were calling, you know you were asking you know permission to uh, do the libation, and that's you know it's an African tradition to get the oldest person in the crowd to give permission to uh, do whatever you want to do. And uh, uh, you asked if there was anyone that was 80 years old, no one responded. If there was anyone 75, no one was, uh, is there anyone 76? So I responded. So I take it I was the oldest one in the, uh, in the march. Now, there could have been someone yeah. older, but they didn't speak up. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I got a lot of, more, especially when you, it, when you were calling the names off, I wasn't quite sure what names you were calling off uh, because, uh, because I sort of got in the middle of it. And uh, so you mentioned uh, quite a few names, and you, and one of the names were Dawson, D-A-W-S-O-N. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't take, and you say, well, that's, that's you, uh, Ralph. I didn't, it didn't dawn on me. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, I'm a Dawson. My name, you know, A.K.A. Ralph Dawson, and uh, uh, being a uh, genealogist, you know, I said, well, I wonder if that was one of my family members that was part of that insurrection, because uh, there was another event uh, called the uh, Georgetown 272, which slaves were sent down to uh, my uh, parish that I grew up in. Uh, to help pay for Georgetown University back in 1838. And I'm related to some of the uh, descendants that they sent down to uh, help sell the slaves in, in Iperville Parish uh, to help uh, defray the cost of the, um, uh, uh, I think they had filed bankruptcy back in 1838 because they couldn't afford it. So they had these 272 slaves that they sold down the river, and that's what slaves saved uh, Georgetown University, one of the richest universities in the, in the country. Mm-hmm. So I, was, I know I was part of that, uh, 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 those people, those enslaved Africans. But when you talk, when you uh, mentioned Dawson and the insurrection, I say, now this is profound. So being a uh, genealogist, I'm that's one of the things I'm going to start uh, researching because uh, anything, you know, like that, you know, that uh, that happens and, and a name is uh, announced uh, like that, uh, I'm going to have to get on it. I haven't had a chance yet to look into it, but uh, uh, thanks very much for having those names available, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, that, that really uh, – uh, 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 
sparked my motivation to uh, march that, that last morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really great. That was Saturday, um, you know, that we called the names of all of the, um, you know, uh, Africans that, you know, resisted enslavement and, and went on that march to New Orleans, you know, freedom or death. And and it was, like, really cool. I had known that when we got to um, Congo Square that um, from the stage, you know, there would be those from our, our ranks that were calling the names, too, and then we'd all say the name. That was so beautiful. Did um, Malik uh, and Aretha, did you participate in, in that part, calling names? I think you were on stage, Aretha. I think I remember seeing you there. Um, um, no, no, I, I, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Malik. Go ahead. My apologies. Um, no, ma'am. I, I, I did not uh, um, mm-hmm. get on stage that day. I was in the crowd, mm-hmm. but still it was yeah. like, extremely powerful and just wire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I was uh, really. I, I was on stage. I, 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 I still hadn't down on me uh, what I was doing, uh, uh, but I got up <laughs> and called the name Suzette. And. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't realize till the next day, you know, what was going on with that. Uh, you know, when you get, the, I don't want to put it on my age, but I, you know, I just, it didn't dawn on me. Uh, what we were doing, I just wanted to get up there uh, because I was so excited about marching into the, uh, from, from the French Quarter into uh, to Congo Square. Uh, you know, it kind of reminded me when I was in high school, I played in marching band, uh, throughout my high school, and um, so that was sort of a combination. I, uh, and, and on top of that, my my daughter, Naima, you know Naima, and mm-hmm. her husband, uh, Shaka Zulu, and a couple other dancers, they were right in front of the stage holding sticks up, uh, and they were all dressed up in their whites for us to march through. And uh, that was, you know, that that. That was so exhilarating to see my daughter there uh, uh, greeting us uh, mm-hmm. uh, from this from this uh, march, you know. And and uh, I say, well, I got to rush. Uh, I got to get on stage and say something, you know. Uh, and I, actually, I was in the back of the uh, sort of in the back of the line or the middle of the line. I sort of I sort of uh, ran up towards the, the uh, front of the line so I could get on stage and uh, speak because of my daughter being there and my son-in-law and uh, uh, greeting us. But that, mm-hmm. was, that was a momentous uh, moment uh, for me when we uh, marched uh, Congo Square. And I, I think I told uh, Dred Scott that the following night there was a uh, gathering uh, on St. Saint, Saint Claude Street the, the following night of the that Tuesday night, I think, and uh, I relayed relayed that to him. Uh, how I was thankful that he had an idea of that. Uh, you know, I can't. You know, I can't articulate how I uh, really felt. But um, you know, I I I felt uh, the spirits. And like I said, it was spiritual and physical. So that's you know I'm gonna let someone else say something because I I can't 
I, I've sort of run out of, uh, I have a lot to say, but I can't, you know, really think of it right now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs> yeah. Well, Sister Rita, I um, want you to share just sort of just, you know, the costume that you had on and the procession and, you know, on to New Orleans, you know, like the chants and were you carrying a flag and who were you walking with? What kind of relationship did you develop with the Africans? that were around you. Just talk about sort of some of those moments. So my costume was made for me by the costume department. So it was just a simple skirt with uh, a blouse, a cream blouse, and then they had like a torn um, sweater that I put over under the scarf to wrap my head. I think I was mainly with... Um, um, there's a group I came for the last day and I was with a group and I intentionally tried to be with that group. I was especially mm-hmm. close to with them because I think we're both on this same quest to have a spiritual awakening, a spiritual kind of um, thing happen for us. So I was carrying a, a machete. Um, you guys say mm-hmm. something else. You say, um, you don't say machete, you say... Um, how do you say what, what is it called here okay I, I, it's the machete that we call it and I was carrying that at one point I was carrying a gun um, okay. I think um, I, was, I was chanting and sometimes we were we were singing because I really didn't think the ancestors would have done as much chanting they would have done more singing that's how we felt so we were singing a lot. There's a part when I think I really got most upset in when I was passing what I thought was a plantation. I was really upset about that. I was also upset about um, the fact that they made the ancestor graveyard now. It's just a place where they catch water um, when Mm -hmm. the flood is basically flooding and then I was upset when I was passing the plant and I saw mostly black people and I know there's toxic emissions there. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty upset a lot. Um, and then I'm tired and um, so that was building. And um, But I, I definitely felt a spiritual sense that 18, 1811 and 2019 was touching and that we were saying the same thing, that both of us needed freedom or death, because both of us are enslaved in different ways. So it's the same thing. It's like, this is the same game you're playing. I'm on the same plantation, regardless of what you're telling me. If I jump through all the hoops you jump through, you tell me to jump through, you're still going to create a plantation for me. So I'm going to get the next person, I get the best mm-hmm. one, but you're going to pay me less than you pay other people. Even mm-hmm. the social service that I do, that is a plantation. At the top of it are white That's people, true. and you send me out a black slave to other black people, and I get them to be obedient. But you don't want me to kill them, because if I kill them, they come out of the program that we're in, and you stop getting paid. So when I tell you a system to make them self-sustaining and great citizens, you tell me no, but then they won't need our services. So how is it not on a plantation? So I guess my anger there was like, I'm still a slave here. I'm still screaming the same thing my ancestors are screaming. And how do I finally win? And it's not going to be, 
I have to kill capitalism, the mm. hyper capitalism that we have here. I have to kill this white supremacy. I understand right. we have to do it for real because, yeah, that, that is just in heaviness and frustration. But one good thing, there are many good things. The, the love that I felt among, I'm Jamaican, um, Jamaican American, but I felt love and acceptance around African Americans. Like, I knew they were my family, that, and I saw the most beautiful people on earth, like these different hues of blackness. I was like, just there mm-hmm. staring at people like, oh, my God, how mm-hmm. can you be so beautiful? How can you be so amazing? I was just in a candy store of blackness wanting to just salivate. <laughs> That's just sick. But, yeah, also, it, when I was tired the first night and super frustrated, it came to me like, yes, I'm in this rebellion where people revolted violently. But there's also the dignity of survival that we don't celebrate. Like, mm. I felt so tired and like frustrated and wanting my creature comfort. I love organic food and soft beds and shit like that. But here I was on the stage thinking so proud of my ancestors that they're just their mm-hmm. living day was heroic. People want us to say, Oh, why why didn't they kill the master? No, just living was their rebellion. They rebelled every day when they got up. They say, I refuse to die. I refuse to allow to take my voice away. They come joy. Their their being is heroic. And that just came to me like, wow, wow, I am so great. I am so great. I come from such greatness, and people are trying to tell me otherwise. So that, that, I don't know. I'm so amazed and so happy about the experience. It's just, um, Mm -hmm. and I just want to have that that same cry that they have, freedom or death, and live it every day in my actions. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not taking the shit anymore. No more crap from the table. No more mm-hmm. new systems of slavery and Jim Crow and all this bullshit. No more separating ourselves from each other, having them tell Absolutely. lies that Jamaicans don't love Haitians and uh, African Americans don't love Africans. No, we're not as big as life. We're joined together like we did there with a mighty fist and destroy mm-hmm. white supremacy. We have to kill mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, Malik, I, I heard you like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, go ahead. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Um, uh, hold on one second. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to, like, gather my words because that was very powerful, and I resonated with so many things that was mm-hmm. just said, and I'm trying to find a way to articulate exactly, um, you know, how I want to actually um, expound upon that in my own words. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, keeping in mind that, excuse me, oh, sorry, also um, keeping in mind that pretty soon I will also have to exit the phone call because I have to get back to work. But okay. before okay. I do, though, I really do want to um, emphasize on just how much um, realizing just how much effort went into even getting this event to happen mm. and how much precautions had to be taken and how much and how many people had to be notified and how much publicity that this, you know, not had, but that it had to have in order for it to be able to happen safely. I mean, you know, this is a congregation of 350 black people walking through southern rural Louisiana you know, chanting about their history, chanting about their past, chanting about the things that we've been through that are that we're still continuing to go through, 
you know, um, just on a regular day. This is just us convening and congregating and being within our culture. And the fact that it was it caused so much controversy, the fact that so many people were either surprised or disgusted, I don't know. There were many moments where, you know, I paid attention to the faces on the sidelines. I did a lot while I was um, uh, throughout the whole entire march. And going into it, I had the thought that I'd be more uncomfortable in the rural areas than I would once we got into the French Quarter. But as we marched through the French Quarter, I found that to not be the case because once we got in the French Quarter, I kind of – it was more evident what America's real problem with racism was, and it's the patronage because what I saw – you know, with so many people that didn't understand the gravity or, you know, the caliber of what it was that we were doing, understand the history behind it, understand what we were representing and what we're chanting about, not only for the past, but also the present. And, you know, they're smiling and they're clapping and, like, you know, they're, like, white smiles all over. But I don't mm-hmm. I don't think anybody necessarily understood, but, you know, for themselves and for their own guilt and for, you know, their own sense of uh, righteousness, they support, quote, unquote. Yeah blindly support and that's I think the most eerie thing to me is that even though we're saying what we're saying out loud I'm you know sometimes I get nervous that what if they're not listening because what if they see it as a show Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you know Mm. I I saw kids you know I saw kids grabbing their parents oh mommy daddy look it's a parade it's a parade and you know that's not what this was and often you know I once again, it kind of goes back to the whole thing with um, some undertones of how I was talking about, you know, how, how New Orleans is service, in, service industry dominated and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, low-income black people are, like, forced to, you know, kind of do the dance and, you know, you know, um, yeah, do the dance and, you know, put on the show in order for people to keep coming back and wanting more. I mean, if you go to almost any high-class restaurant, quote-unquote high-class restaurant in the city, all of your servers are going to be black. If you're on Bourbon Street, your entertainers are black. You know, you have people shining your shoes. You have people, you know, tap dancing on the street. You have, you know, kids, you know, beating drums on the street. You know, all of, you know, all of these talents and all of this, like, just cultural greatness and, like, interaction just being exploited. And I'm nervous. I'm nervous a lot of times that, you know, um, because that's another layer. That's another layer. You know, the passive layer is one that I feel like is their greatest guide to what they really like to do because that kind of, you know, absolves them of accountability. Mm-hmm. You know, for them to be able to say, oh, well, we didn't say that. We didn't do that. You know, that wasn't outwardly expressed. So, you know, there's – and kind of there's this method of gaslighting that I feel even often whenever I speak – because um, living in New Orleans, you know, I um, I drive Uber. Um, well, I used to drive Uber. I recently stopped because I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, I also work at Starbucks. And the main thing I'm doing right now is that I'm a digital media and graphic design intern, which is where I'm at right now. I'm actually at my internship. But I took a break to come um, and be on this phone call because this was such an important thing for me to be a part of. But, um, but yeah, so a lot of the times, you know, driving Uber, I have the opportunity to have these conversations and to speak about these things that other, otherwise, you know, these people wouldn't hear. And, you know, sometimes I'm able to make an impact, and other times I don't think people, once again, I don't think people understand the caliber of what it is that I'm trying to express. You know, I'm not speaking for my – I'm not speaking for fun of it. I'm speaking for my life. I'm trying to save myself and my people. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. not, not to say that I'm trying to save, you know, as if like I'm the, but just in the sense of I'm trying to do what I can, you know, trying to link the little pieces together and to sort of build up the Lego, be one of the Lego blocks that build the pieces together. And I think that that's uh, that, that's what resonated with me so much about the um, about the reenactment is that it was so many of us from all mm-hmm. over. So many of us putting together all of these pieces in this big, huge demonstration, and I enjoyed once again. I enjoyed more, which I hadn't expected. But I enjoyed more marching through the rural areas than it was than I did marching through the French Quarter because the French Quarter, I felt more of a sense of people know and they're choosing to react a certain way. Whereas, you know, in the rural areas, there's a lot more ignorance. But you know. Uh, a lot more ignorance for the sense of people, you know, aren't in the environment where they see this happen every day. So they're so they're mm-hmm. genuinely wondering what it is, even if they do have ill thoughts about it. That's something that they saw that might impact them for the rest of their lives, or not. Mm-hmm. Either way, it's something that we saw and we spoke and we said our words, and that's powerful, extremely powerful. Freedom or death, like mm-hmm. I, and that's the thing that res- that's the chant that resonated with me the most throughout the whole mm-hmm. thing. Actually, maybe mm-hmm. I actually um, had some pretty emotional moments when just thinking about it and reflecting on it and telling people about it because it's so important for so many reasons and it's so relevant for so many reasons. And I keep saying the same thing, I keep reiterating this, but I don't think people realize. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, Malik, um, and I wanted to ask you if you could talk about some of the. Um, uh, you you recorded these little snapshots, and I wanted you to tell us sort of what. You know, as you are reviewing those those moments over the two days, just sort of what what you collected. But I was just thinking about the whole idea of, of calling us home. You know, this is a 400 year of African American history um, right. uh, legislation. You know, this is you know there's a African American history 400 years of African American history act. Right, it's a legal document that you know number 45 signed, and and we're looking at you know sort of the right to return and, you know, African nations are calling us home like Ghana and, you know, they had the big, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, congressional and, you know, folks went with Nancy Pelosi, you know, to, uh, to, to pay homage to African history. And, you know, they went to Elmina or Cape Coast. I'm not sure which dungeon they, they visited and, and she and Pelosi spoke, but, you know, but I'm thinking like home, you know, home, those dungeons for us are in the South. Those are those five states, right? right? Louisiana, right. Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, uh, Georgia. That's mm-hmm. that's our Elmina. That's the slave dungeon. Mm-hmm. So for those of us, like, you know, for Dred Scott to be able to facilitate calling us from the various corners of this nation to come home and honor our ancestors who staged mm-hmm. the largest insurrection in the history of this country. And it was so you know, so monumental that they squashed it to date, right? Nobody right. knows this history, right. but now they know it because right. we reenacted, we embodied it. So I'm thinking about also like the staging of everything. Like we have these brothers and sisters on horseback, you know, like, whoa, you know, mm-hmm. walking, you know, at the bottom of the hill. We're on the top of the levee there at the bottom of the levee, you know, and, and in the rural area, you know, there's not that many cars, there's not that much traffic, and you see these 
you know, this brother with a car with his kids in there. He he pulls over and he gets out. Mm-hmm. So his children mm-hmm. yes, are like, witnesses. this happened more than once, right? Yes. And, yes. and I just yes. think, and then and then we're in period costumes, so this is like, they don't look like we know we look now, like, you know, walking with dignity, holding our flags, you know. Right. It's just like, I mean, I'm in it, so I don't actually know what it looks like until I look at the pictures, and I'm like, it was stunning, you know, oh, absolutely yes, stunning, like, wow. And that then is. we get to Congo Square, like, what? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Sadly, I wish that I had more footage that I recorded from my cellular device because I, because I was actually I was actually brought me, the way I actually ended up participating was that through my internship, one of my mentors uh, connected me with a videographer that was working on the project, and um, mm-hmm. he asked me or, and uh, me being an aspiring filmmaker, um, they asked me if I had wanted to you know be a part of that uh, as a GoPro operator, so you know filming but mm-hmm. also being a part of the reenactment at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, of course I jumped on the opportunity just to be a part of something so culturally significant as well as, you know, have to do something that I've kind of always dreamed to do, which is, you know, be mm-hmm. a part of a film production of that caliber. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, a lot of the footage that I did get, I remember there was this one on day two where we had stopped right before our lunch break. And uh, there was, it wasn't a drum circle that day, but we had like a praise circle mm-hmm. where um, oh, everyone was singing. I'm trying to remember what song we were singing, but everyone was singing and there were tambourines and um, there was a drummer mm-hmm. and people were harmonizing. And I remember taking a video um, at that moment that was so beautiful that I actually watched multiple times on the bus ride back. Um mm-hmm. Once I came back uh, later on at night to get my car because it was just so, it was so moving. It was so many of us, and it was so many of us. I, <laughs> it felt like home. It felt like a family reunion. Like it, it yeah. to reiterate, you know what I had said earlier about you know us all never having been, never having been there before, but all just having been there before at the same time, mm-hmm. it really felt like we had all been there. And we had Well we have been. You know, you talk about sort of, you know, um there's memory in our DNA. So we were there. Absolutely. You know, there's I mean Absolutely. like there's not mm-hmm. like you know, you can't destroy matter, right? So we're all recycled right. energy. Right. So, exactly. so yeah. So exactly. you know, we were yes. there. Um Yes. Yeah, yeah. What Just you were feeling is, is was real. It was like being incarnated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I felt like I was meeting people that I had known for years, and conversations mm-hmm. happened so easily. I felt like I had danced dances that I had always danced before. I just, uh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. But with. With that being said, sadly I have to go. Oh, I'm just okay. getting in. Really, <laughs> but I have to go uh, finish this project that I'm working on for this organization and okay. get that pushed out the door today. But thank you so much for having me be a part of this call. It was very nice speaking with everyone, and I hope that everyone thank has a you, blessed Malik. day. Okay, uh, thank Malik. you, Malik. Uh, yeah, Malik, are you still there? Yes, sir. Yeah, well, look, uh, you guys uh, have uh, articulated. All my feelings, especially yourself. I know you. You must be about twenty some years old. 
I'm 22. 22. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So keep up that consciousness that you have, and uh, you know, uh, and and draw people to you, and I think we'll we'll survive this thing. Absolutely. That's yeah. That's powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure who you are. I'm sure I saw you on the march. Uh, I'll send you a picture. Uh, okay, yeah, do that, do that. Because your, your voice, your voice uh, sounds uh, very uh, familiar. I may have talked to you. I don't know. But uh, uh, keep up uh, that thought that you have. Uh, and I agree with you, with the people in, in uh, uh, the French quarters. You know, uh, you know, they do look at us, you know, as a show. You know, and uh, uh, I, I agree with you uh, very much on on, on your analysis. So uh, keep it up, and uh, and uh, you take care of yourself. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. You all as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. All right, you take care, Willie. Good luck on your project. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I appreciate that. Bye, guys. Will you get some, well, some time? Send me some footage so I can I can um I can you know. Put it, you know, put it in the mix here so people can hear it, the songs and things yes, that you um, recorded. I sent you, I sent you two of the video files. I can, re- oh, you did? I can, uh, try- oh, yes, okay. ma'am, yeah. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Oh, but you can, you Alrighty. can, you can, um, you can pull the sound for me? I can, I can see, because as I said, I'm dealing with, I'm currently, uh, dealing with a broken laptop right now, but I can mm-hmm. try to work some magic and figure out what I can do tonight. Oh, super! Because I could use it next Wednesday on our next next um next conversation. Nice. Well, I'd love to be a service. I'd also love to be a part of that conversation to continue talking. Oh, you're totally you're totally welcome. Eight o'clock Pacific time. Absolutely. All All right. You take care. I look forward to talking to you soon. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> All right. Peace and blessings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So let's talk a little bit more if you have a few more minutes about um. Uh, you know, your experiences. Um, Blessed Aretha, you were just really flowing. Oh, my goodness. That was so beautiful. You might have said everything. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, the, thinking about the 1619, yeah, the 1619, you know, 2019, I was there at um, uh, at uh, Hampton, um, uh, the, uh, uh, what is it, the, uh, the um, Fort Monroe National Monument. Um, there, you know, at, at Point Comfort, where the first Africans came into this particular um, colony in in August. We, I didn't meet you there though, but um, we were there together. Um, and was uh, that on? Uh, was that was that on? C-SPAN? That was August. Hmm? Did, did that take place with uh, C-SPAN? I saw. Yes, yeah, C-SPAN uh, was there. Yeah, that's right. Yep, it was yeah, on yeah, C-SPAN. I think, mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really... yeah, yeah. It was really, really beautiful. I, yeah, I was there I when they rang the bell. Hmm? Uh, I was there. I went to Jamestown where they have, they found, they excavated the body of, well, they found artifacts for Angela, the one of the first yes. ones. So they came to Comfort mm-hmm. and then they came over there at Jamestown. So I literally mm-hmm. went there and I was like talking to her spirit, like apologizing mm-hmm. for what happened to her and you know, telling her that we're still here and we're still fine and we're still fighting. Because I can just imagine how it was for her to be like, but also I was also seeing where they killed, they took people's land and life 
and all the things they built, it's just now rubble. So you destroy, try to destroy us for stuff, and we're still standing here, but the stuff you made up, it's rubble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was able to go to the uh, cemetery, you know, where, um, you know, the uh, the first Africans, um, the family, um, uh, where all the descendants, you know, sort of trace their, wow. their ancestry. I was able to do that on, I think it was that Friday. And, and then wow. on the Saturday, there was a sunrise ceremony at um, – at a historic African beach, and that was really beautiful. They were at, yeah, it was a really well, well uh, choreographed weekend. And then uh, there was a free concert, nice. Common and and uh, Spirits of Blackness. They performed. It was free for the community. Wow. Um, yeah, it was just. And then and then that Sunday was the National Day of, of Healing, and um, throughout the parks, uh, the national parks. It was supposed to, at the same time, it was 3 o'clock Eastern time, we were all ringing, ringing these bells, you know, um, one minute for each year of the 400-year history. So that was really, wow. that was really moving as well. Um, and uh, they're really, really beautiful. Um, I, was, I was really um, disappointed that even though, you know, it was also the anniversary of the National Park Services and uh, Colonel... Charles Young, um, he was uh, uh, the highest-ranking um, African person in uh, in the uh, army or the military at that, that point. Um, he actually was the first superintendent of of the National Park Service and the current superintendent of um, of the uh, Fort Moreau National uh, National Monument is a person of African descent, and it was his idea. <laughs> Uh, he had this idea to do this this day where we were gonna ring the bell. He was just praying for good weather. <laughs> remember the brother? His name was um, uh, Mr. Terry. His last name. Remember seeing him um, on the stage um, a couple of times when you were there, uh, Aretha. Do you remember oh, seeing when him? I hmm. No. Um, on on the when I was no. There. When you were um, at in Hampton, Virginia, for the National Day of Healing. No, I, I that's what I was saying to you. I didn't go to Hampton. I went to Jamestown instead. Oh, oh, you, oh, you spent the whole time yes. in Jamestown. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, yes, okay. and yeah, that's that's where I was. I went to. So yeah, I, that was in October rather than at the time when they had had the event that you attended. Yeah, that one. No, I, the one that I attended, it was on. It was on in August. August twenty fifth was. I know the day I know. of. I yeah, but one. you were there. But you were there in October. Yes. Yeah, that was oh, my okay. just going on my own journey. I went to Jamestown. Also, mm-hmm. also went over to Colonial Williamsburg, and you know. Oh, that's even good. That yeah. A, yeah, that's a part where a lot. I. A lot of the times I was the only black face, and I'm asking, like, so where were the slave quarters? Because they keep on trying to act like slaves were um, servants. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Williamsburg is the first place of white supremacy. I mean, the moment they arrive there, they start changing the laws that um, 
if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be free according to English common law, but then it just kept on changing the law, changing the law. So before everything, mm. the fact that our enslavement was codified there in in Williamsburg. So mm-hmm. that for, for me was like the place I, I felt I wanted most to go. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the rules and the laws that they're getting us all tricked in. Like, <laughs> Mm-hmm. This is how you trap us up to say it's a rule mm-hmm. or a law, but it's only wrong if it's not white. Mm-hmm. It's white and right and wrong if it's not. Mhm. Right. Yeah. 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 In California, people think about California as as a, a free state, but actually, California, um, according to um, Delilah Beasley, who is a was a, a maverick journalist, African American woman, she wrote for the Oakland Tribune. Um, she she put she uh, wrote an essay called Slavery in California, and it was written in, in uh, January 1919, so it's centennial this year. She uh, she says that um, slavery, uh, de facto slavery, ended in California in 1872. So after wow. the end of the war, there was still you know instances of bondage here in in California, and she's also well known for her book. Um, um, gosh, what was her book called? Um, oh, I just lost it. Uh, it's also having a centennial. Um, but where she, in this particular book that I can't think of the name of, she um, she chronicled the stories of, of African Americans uh, of note here in California, all of California, Northern and Southern California. And uh, it's it's still available and uh, really really mm-hmm. wonderful wonderful book. So she was a really great woman and uh, you know oh, Candace. Something, something Candace uh, mm-hmm. Yeah yeah, it's a really really good book. And and the um, uh, both like uh, slavery in California is available. You can get that free uh, through J Store uh, S T O R okay. and um, and then her other book, um, the one about. Um, uh, African Americans uh, here in California. That I got that um, on. Uh, it's available online. It's not available in print anymore, but it's available online. You could you could get it for like mm-hmm. a, under five dollars. It's really really reasonable. Oh, okay. So I was so wondering, um, yeah, if um, sort of um, if you had any closing thoughts. I wanted to ask you more, brother um, Aleem, about um, your your tour twenty years ago with Leon Waters. I wonder if you could tell us like who is Leon Waters and what did that tour encompass, and how much of our reenactment was that that tour that you went on? Uh, yeah, the tour that I went on with uh, Leon was the same march that we took this uh, couple of weeks okay. ago. Okay. Uh, exactly, because we started off at the uh, at this sign in uh, in La Place and. You know, over the years, we had, you know, we used to come from my home to New Orleans on field trips, and mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. one of the places that we would go would, would be Lincoln Beach. It was an all-black mm-hmm. beach, and that's, that, mm-hmm. that was a place where I, I really had a lot of fun and the most fun. Anyway, uh, this, this historical marker in La Plaza, uh Leon started there and mm-hmm. took us mm-hmm. through um, uh Along the river road, and uh, he took us through. He, he took us to some cemeteries. Now we didn't cover that, mm-hmm. 
but there were some cemeteries that he took us to that were uh, historical, and he took us on the same route that we uh, that we went on, and uh, we made a stop at this, this at the Destrehan Plantation, and he mm-hmm. showed us where the uh, one of the people that we we uh, killed uh, was buried. I think it was a colonel. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, we passed that cemetery. I don't yes. know if anybody is, heard is about that it. You, is wow. that where you showed me this big plaque like you could see from the road when we were yeah, driving? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So he took us on that route, and it took us uh, all the way to the end. Now, we didn't quite get into St. Rose, uh, Louisiana, which is a few miles past where we stopped on Saturday. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but that, that was the uh, route that he took us on, and... Uh, uh, Leon is, you know, he's friends with my, uh, with Chaka and my daughter Naima and, and, you know, mm-hmm. because they're, they're sort of in the same circle, art, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, one of the stories about Leon is, you know, my wife, my wife, you know, Kadria, she's from mm-hmm. Texas, right? She's from Hamilton, right. Texas. And, uh, we went to a, uh, reunion of hers, class reunion. And uh, who shows up but Leon Waters and his wife and his sister, I think, and brother-in-law. <laughs> we come to find out that I think his brother-in-law were, was went to school with my wife. And he, you know, he, he showed up out of the middle of nowhere. I never expected him to show up at her class reunion because we had been to many other class reunions in the past. Mm-hmm. But uh, that that was my limited uh, experience with uh, Leon. I've been in meetings with him and, and so forth, but uh, and I've seen him take people on tours around my uh, daughter's restaurant that they had up until a couple of years ago, on uh, directly across the street from Congo Square, just where their mm-hmm. restaurant was, and they had the restaurant slash museum, uh, mm-hmm. Mardi Gras Indian Museum, and uh, right. he would bring people uh, from all over the country. And uh, into their uh, restaurant and museum. And as a matter of fact, I think they're going to ha- uh, they're getting another museum. I'm not, I don't know the okay. full details, but anyway, uh, that's you know that's my uh, experience with uh, with Leon. And I have mm-hmm. I don't know I didn't, I didn't see him over the course of the uh, the uh, march. I'm not sure what these. Uh, whether he's, you know, whether he's ill or what, but uh, I just haven't seen him in a, in a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Right, yeah, he's got the Hidden History Tours, and, and they have a website, um, hiddenhistory.us, and um, mm-hmm. and I guess you can um, make reservations for the tours. It sounds pretty cool. And he also has a, a Facebook page. How, how old okay. is he? Okay, I think he may be a little bit older than I am. I think he may be about, maybe close to 80. I'm 76. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, he may be close to 80 years old. Um, you know, um, I don't know how much time you've had, but, you know, I, uh, another experience, you know, that, that really motivated me uh, to uh, to do this march uh, was you know my ancestors, mm-hmm. and being yeah. a researcher in genealogy, you know, um, I I I really, 
you know, I really, uh, uh, really got into this thing because of the research that I've been doing, and I and I could feel spiritually what they went through, physically what they uh, went through, and uh, I'd just like to name a few if you got if you have time. Yeah, yeah, we have time. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know that I've uh, memorized over the years that uh, that I've uh, researched, and uh, of course my mother Gladys O'Neill. Uh, she's married a few times. She's passed on. Uh, my father, uh, Ralph Dawson Sr. Uh, my mother's father, uh, Glenwood O'Neill. Uh, my grandfather. My uh, grandmother was Easter Jones. Her mother, uh, Issa Jones' mother, was uh, uh, Maggie Ridley. Her father was Cornelius Ridley. And her, um, her, her mother, Maggie's mother, was Betsy McConkie, and she married a Ridley. Uh, uh, his name was Kit Ridley. Kit Ridley... Uh, Joined the uh, Union Army in 1864, and that's where he married my second great grandmother. Uh, after he joined the mother, and uh, after he joined the Union Army in uh, uh, Natchez, Mississippi. Uh, as a matter of fact, I went to uh, my wife and I went to uh, Washington D.C. to the uh, Black Union Army Museum, and I got mm. a certificate uh, for him. They had him on record. And I walked. Oh. We walked across the street, and we. Uh, he's on the wall of the uh, subway, and uh, mm. across the street from the uh, museum. But anyway, mm. uh, that's as far back as I can go on my maternal side. Uh, Betsy, uh, his wife Betsy McConkie, uh, mother was Betsy McConkie also, and that McConkie name came from Scotland. So I can. You know, I got research on on the white side all the way back because they had some pretty good records and we didn't. And uh, but we were able to get, I was able to get back to my great, great, uh, great grandmother, third great grandmother. Now on my father's side, uh, uh, like I said, his name was Ralph Dawson. His father's name was James Dawson. Uh, his wife, my grandmother, was uh, Elnora Kenton. Um, Elnora Kenton's mother was Martha Martin, so we came from the Martins, uh, and her mother was uh, Patsy Martin, and her father was uh, Isaac Martin. Now, I have a cousin that just wrote a book, and uh, she, I just met her, you know, a few months ago, uh, she had wrote this book on her uh, genealogy, her life, and growing up in my hometown, Plaquemine, uh, Louisiana, and she mentions my great great grandmother in her book saying that that, that was her third great grandparents, uh, Isaac Martin and uh, uh, Patsy Martin. So I said, look, we got to get in touch with you. And just so happened, she was coming down to Louisiana, and uh, we met up with each other. And uh, uh, and she mentioned that Patsy Mart- uh, Martin was a free person of color in um, I can't think of the name of this uh, uh, city in in Virginia. But it was it was a it was a city that had a lot of free people of color because uh, after the uh, revolution after the American Revolution uh, a lot of the uh, slave masters uh, decided that we got to free these slaves because 
uh, we were fighting for our freedom, so we have to free the slaves that we have. So according to uh, my cousin, uh, she found uh, Patsy Martin in this town. I can't think of the name of it right now, but it was in Virginia. I have it. I have it documented. So, but that's that's uh, my little uh, uh, genealogy history, and I wanted to pay. Uh, I wanted to honor them uh, while mm-hmm. I had you know a listening uh, audience. Uh, right. Uh, you know, and and um, let everybody know that you know my name is Ralph Abdul Aleem, and also known as Ralph Dawson Jr. from a little town south of uh, Baton Rouge called Plaquemine, Louisiana, and uh, Plaquemine, uh, the meaning of Plaquemine is persimmon. You know, the persimmons that we eat? Uh, mm-hmm. There was a lot of persimmons along the bayous, which I was raised up on, on the bayous, and, and the uh, that same Mississippi River that we marched on, you know, extended down to uh, Plaquemine, and uh, I used to walk, that's so I was a little used to walking uh, uh, the levees. And uh, in those days, when I was growing up, we walked everywhere, we hitchhiked, and uh, and uh, that, you know, the march just brought all of that back into fruition. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, I've had a very interesting uh, 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 period of uh, research on my ancestors. And, and, and uh, you know, there was another ancestor that I didn't, didn't mention my, on my father's side. Her name was... Um, um, Jack, she was a Jackson, and and uh, I had been researching her for the last twenty years, and all of a sudden, I decided to take the ancestry DNA about three years ago, and I didn't know too much about it, and uh, I didn't know how to navigate the uh, computer to find out, you know, who's who. But all, you know, you know, it, all of a sudden it came to me because I kept trying to figure out how all of these cousins relate. And uh, uh, I found some other people that was related to me, that was related to my great-grandmother. And when I discovered her, because, you know, I was on a one-track uh, research, and I should have been on a two-track, uh, I discovered her being born in Mississippi, in Woodville, Mississippi, outside of Natchez. And I said, oh, this is... Uh, and then I, shortly after I discovered where she was born... I discovered her family, huge family. So I have a brand new family because of uh, research and because of uh, DNA. Now that was ancestry DNA. Now my, we had my uncle, uh, Doctor Dawson. Uh, he's he was the uh, he was over the uh, medical thing at uh, at Southern University. He's also the, the doctor for the football team, and. Uh, now we had because he was the oldest in the family. We had him, or I had him take the uh, African ancestry DNA back in 2011, and uh, we discovered that uh, the Dawsons. Well, they weren't Dawsons in Africa. They weren't Dawsons until they came to America. But anyway, uh, we discovered that we came out of East Africa and Mozambique, which went back about 2,000 years. So all of that, you know. Uh, culminated uh, and all of that went through my mind when I was when I was doing this reenactment. Uh, all mm-hmm. the research that I was doing uh, uh, on, the, uh, on this research and until I took the DNA and that's 
that really enhanced things. And uh, as a matter of fact, I got a call from my first cousin on my mother's side this morning. He said, guess what, Ralph? I got I found something you're going to be amazed at. I said, what? He said, go on, go on uh, online and look at uh, who just took the DNA and uh, come to find out it was another first cousin. Uh, uh, he's a million. We're called Oscar Million. Anyway, uh, uh, all of these matches that I've gotten, you know, it just confirms that uh, you know, if you look, if, if you put your mind to it and research and, and keep on researching, uh, you'll find these uh, ancestors. You know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, that you know that and and like I said in the beginning. Uh, when we marched into Congo Square, that really was exhilarating. And, uh, you know, to see all the African-Americans, you know, surrounding us and uh, marching uh, up to the uh, stage, that was, you know, that was the highlight of my uh, my participation in that, in that march. And um, one other thing uh, uh, I want to bring out is, my grandmother that raised me, my grandmother and my grandfather that raised me on, on my maternal side, uh, she told me a story. She kept telling telling me and this story about an uprising in Natchez, Mississippi, right outside of Natchez, about 15 miles south of Natchez on Highway 61. And it, uh, she told me that uh, her grandparents or someone was involved in this insurrection. Matches Mississippi, and uh, you know I didn't think about too much about it. I said, "Oh, okay." Uh, but she kept telling us this, and um, a few years ago, and she told us she told me exactly how it happened. You know, they killed the uh, overseer, and they they found him by a tree stump. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing this research, and I went on Google or something. I did how I found out about it, but. Anyway, this author wrote about the same story, the little story that she told me. He wrote a whole book on it. You know, he was mm. he, uh, and I just discovered that recently. You know that uh, uh, which the story that she told me, this white guy wrote a book on it, uh, uh, and I ordered the book from uh, Amazon. Uh, I think just before you came down, and I mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to really read the whole thing, but. But uh, all of that, you know, just uh, uh, made, you know, just motivated me to be in, in this march and uh, and uh, uh, bring out our ancestors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, wow. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much, particularly for, the, you know, the personal connection. Um, so, Sister um, Aretha, um, yeah, closing closing comments. Freedom or death. Freedom or death. That's it. <laughs> Freedom or death. Freedom or death. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to um, I wanted to uh, call the name of um, of Ernest Gaines, uh, Ernest J. Gaines, who um, he was born January fifteenth, same day as um, Dr. King, and and he passed the week of our um, our uh, slavery vote. Mm-hmm. Reenactment. He passed on November fifth, so I'm, I'm sure wonder. he was walking with us. Mm-hmm. Sorry, she so um, I was going to mention yes. that 
Hmm. I went to his funeral. We went to his funeral. Mm, yeah. In, uh, in Baton mm-hmm. Rouge uh, this past Saturday. Okay. All right. You yeah. want to tell us about it? Um, yeah, well, the reason why we went is because I had, I used to do business up near where he lived at. I would go up and buy my pecans for my, for my business and uh, at the factory, and uh, he lived on that same river, False River, in New mm-hmm. Roads. Uh, he lived in Oxford, Louisiana, but it was two miles from where I was going to pick up my uh, pecans. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, someone told me that he lived at, at this place in Oxford, and I said, look, I'm going to try and go and see him. So yeah. his gate, he, he, has, he has a gated uh, home and a uh, beautiful home. And he just just built a few years ago, uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And uh, the gate just happened to be open, and I went there, and uh, and his wife was uh, greeted us. And she didn't have any problem with us just dropping in, and uh, oh. she showed us the church that he uh, had moved to his to the back of his house that he attended uh, when he was growing up. Mm. And uh, so I went there that. That visit. Then another time, I went in there and uh, talked to to the two of them. Uh, I brought my cousin and my uncle, Doctor Dawson, to uh, and they visited him also. But mm-hmm. the reason why I even you know I knew about him, but we started across paths, you know, between 1953 and 1962 because he left Louisiana and went to move to Vallejo, California, mm-hmm. in 19. 19- 53, I think, somewhere around in there. Anyway, I did the same thing. I moved from Louisiana to Vallejo, California. He went to uh, Vallejo JC, Vallejo Junior High. I mm-hmm. went to Vallejo Junior High. Really? He went in the really? Army. I didn't go in the <laughs> Army. But he, mm-hmm. when he left Vallejo, he went, he, he went to San Francisco State. Now, I didn't go mm-hmm. to San Francisco State, but he went to the Visadera Street. He lived on the Visadera Street. In San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I also lived on the Visadera Street in San Francisco. So it was subtle, but yeah. And uh, uh, and I told him the story, and uh, he was amazed at it, you know. And and uh, as a matter of fact, I met his sister at the funeral because there was a couple at the funeral that I knew in California that when I was wondering why they were at the funeral, and uh, mm-hmm. the the wife, she was. Uh, uh, she was friends of uh, uh, Ernest Gaines' sister. They grew up together. They went to school together. Mm-hmm. So that was my little experience uh, with uh, Ernest Gaines. And I oh. met him. And, and matter of fact, uh, Cecily Tyson was at the funeral and she spoke because right, of uh, yeah. the uh, yeah because of uh, the autobiography of uh, Jane Pittman. And uh, right. I had I had met them once before at the Joy Theater on Canal Street and. About seven or eight years ago, they were together. He was getting some kind of uh, uh, recognition, and she happened mm-hmm. to be there. Her and uh, Soledad O'Brien. Right. But, uh, yeah. That's that's. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I was I was going to mm-hmm. mention that, but I I just forgot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just love Ernest Gaines. Um, I like you know that he, um, you know, he bought the plantation that. You know his family right. had had worked on. You know that that was his homestead, and, and right, I remember right. in California, um, his book was the book of you know was the book uh, for California Reads, 
and it was a lesson mm-hmm. before dying, that particular book, and he wrote that book when he was in California looking at San Quentin. That San Quentin was the view from his window, um, San mm-hmm. Quentin State Prison. And, and mm-hmm. the book, you know, for those who might not know it, is of, um, you know, a, a person of African descent that was sentenced to die. And, um, and, and since, you know, there was, there was no opportunity for the man to get justice, his, his, his grandmother wanted him to die with dignity. Mm-hmm. Similar, mm-hmm. you know, to our ancestors that we were marching, you know, in their footsteps, you know. Right. Um, you know, it was freedom yes. or death, and, and it was more like yes. it, it. It was like the intention. You know, they. You know, it, you know, they didn't have enough arms to beat. You know, these enslavers and the militia, and and we weren't we weren't Americans. Um, we were you know Africans. They didn't recognize us as citizens. So right. so the whole idea of you know of of claiming our 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 right to freedom, you know, even if, you know, we just had this one last stand, you know, was really important. And so similarly, you know, with this book, Lesson Before Dying, it's, I think it's sort of in the same kind of uh, intention, you know, that particular story, you know, um, you, know the, right, right. you know, the plantation sort of changed, you know, to the prison uh-huh. system. And, um, and, and, you know, we got a lot of people there that are serving you know, natural life, and 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 also being executed, um, you know, right, right. by incarceration. So so anyway, and then I mentioned um, the young person who was also shot the same day as um, Oscar Grant, and I just wanted to call his name. Um, he was he was shot and killed January first, two thousand nine, and it was uh, Adolf Grimes the third. He was shot fourteen wow. times. Uh, Twelve times in wow. the back by this policeman who did not now, identify was himself. Oh my God! This was in New Orleans. So, this oh, was in wow. New Orleans. The same day that Oscar Grant was getting killed in Oakland, this this young person was getting wow. killed. This young man, he was in his twenties, he was being killed. Yeah. A father as well in New Orleans, yeah, and, I and I was in New Orleans that. that. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was still in California. I hadn't moved back yet. But I mm-hmm. think I've heard about, you know, so many killings that have gone on, you almost forget. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I I, uh, I think I remember that uh, that's happening. Uh, Grimes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, this has been a really wonderful conversation. Yeah. On to New Orleans. Freedom or death. Um, yes. Freedom or death. Freedom or death. Freedom or death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so... Um, yeah, uh, Faith Travels, uh, my dear sister Arisa, you know, on your way home, you know, to Jamaica, and Faith Return, you know, you know when you come back. And, uh, yeah, if you want to join Thank us on so Wednesday, much. yeah, we'll be, we'll be having another conversation at 8 o'clock. It'll be our, our third one of the series. And uh, thank yeah, you so and, much um, for having me. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was so great meeting you uh, on Thursday. You know, the day of the uh, the rehearsal. I flew in on Wednesday, and um, and 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 I was so happy, you know, to to meet you and the other other members of the army. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really felt like family. Uh, right. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Take care. So, all right. You too. And um, you know, share share the um, you know the the conversation with others. I sent you the link. Okay. 
Okay, good. Okay, good, good. thank you so much. All I right. will do that. All right. Okay, you take good care of both of you. Yeah, I'm like a brother, Lane. More like a All right. Peace and blessings. <laughs> So we are going to conclude with um, one of my favorite songs uh, by Dimu uh, Um Oh, actually, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, um, maybe All Blessed. Yeah. I'm so motivated to make it. It's all blessed. All blessed. All blessed. All blessed. If you know me, 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 then you know it's all blessed. My cup runneth over, you can have the rest. Now, but you know, it, it, it took some time. So. 